1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is the word of the Lord. So first week back inside and we have quite a doozy of a passage, don't we? Um, if you haven't been around, you know, we've been in First Peter. We're looking at this letter where Peter is calling us into this, this role as elect exiles, those who are chosen by God, uh, blessed with the gospel, but also because of that, no longer really fitting uh, in the world. And today he turns that and says, what does it look like to live as elect exiles in the context of marriage? So just want to acknowledge passages like this present a lot of controversy and uh, emotions uh, in our day and age, which is quite a, quite a bit different than it was 2,000 years ago. So I hope to be faithful to what Peter is presenting for us. And I actually think, hopefully as we get inside of this, I, I, I hope and maybe I'm too uh, optimistic about this, but I think we will leave with a very beautiful picture of what, what Peter is laying out here. However, this kind of hits you, especially for you wives, because you get most of the ink here. doesn't seem fair, um, but hopefully this will make sense as we go through it. Um, so we're going to talk about marriage today, and it's interesting. I mean, we're talking about marriage in a time where, you know, we've seen these just remarkable shifts in marriage in the last, really, 60 years, haven't we? Uh, and not all those shifts are bad. I would say there's been some good gains, but, but we've seen some pretty radical redefinitions of what marriage is. And in over 60 years, which is a pretty short amount of time, we've seen marriage go um, from something that was a covenant commitment for lifetime to now something that is essentially uh, two people's feelings for each other at a, any particular moment in time. That's quite a change in our understanding of what, why marriage exists and what it's about in the world. Uh, and so marriage itself as an institution is under attack, but I think maybe even more importantly, marriages themselves are under attack. Um, Mark mentioned Satan a moment ago, and if, if you have a strategy as Satan, if I had a strategy, I would go after marriages. I'd go after families. And so marriages in this room are under attack. We all, those of us that are married, um, we all have our challenges. Um, some of you are in some really hard seasons of your marriage. Some of you are in some sweet seasons, but we all know there's nothing like marriage um, for the sanctification process, to, to have a sinner plop down in your life and to live with you for the rest of your life uh, is a challenging thing. And, and what even, what's even harder is that sinner holds up a mirror to your sin every day, and you can't get away from it. Now, you can kind of present yourself a certain way in society, but usually you go home, and that's your place to be you, and now your you is being held up to you all day long. And that's a challenge. It's, it's part of God's beautiful sanctification process, and it is a beautiful thing. And so let's talk about it today. Um, 
you know, this passage gives us nothing close to a comprehensive take on marriage. Uh, this is not a marriage series, so um, there's so much that's going to be left unsaid. But what I want to do today is just try to get inside of what is Peter laying out within the context, within the flow of this, this letter, and what, what is there for us today, all right? So um, before we look at wives and then husbands, I just want to make a couple comments about this passage in general uh, by just kind of looking at it in an overarching kind of big picture way. Uh, and the first, I, I just want to acknowledge those of you who are single in the room. There are some of you who are single in the room, and you might go, is this, is this relevant to me today? And I just want to encourage you to say, this is incredibly relevant to your life as a single person, whether you remain single for the rest of your life or not, because pretty much every principle that Peter outlines here in the context of marriage, he will outline in many other contexts. So the postures that he's calling wives and husbands to are things that he calls everybody to everywhere. And I actually want to say that to you wives, especially for those of you who this is kind of a triggering, understandably, or hard for you to take, and some of you it's not. But if it is, I think the thing, the thing I just want to say on the front end, there's nothing that Peter says to wives in this passage that he doesn't say to everyone somewhere else, okay? There's no posture that wives are called to in this passage that the New Testament doesn't call believers everywhere to in, in various contexts. So these words like submit, these words like gentle, quiet, okay, those aren't distinctly feminine or wifely qualities. If you read the New Testament, everybody is called to those postures. So hopefully that at least puts a little perspective on what's being said here. Um, I also want you to notice, look at how both comments to the wives and the husbands begin. Look at verse, uh, verse 1, wives in the same way, or maybe yours has likewise. Verse 7, husbands in the same way. So Peter has just said something, and then he's saying, okay, wives, in the same way of what I just said, husbands in the same way of what I just said. And what he's just said is you have to go back to the end of chapter 2. And if you go all the way back to verse 21 of chapter 2, it says, he, he outlines the example of Jesus. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And he outlines the, the, the posture of Jesus going to the cross, that he sacrificed himself for us, that he entrusted himself courageously to God in the midst of injustice. He exemplified sacrificial love. Okay? It's the beautiful, you know, cruciform life pattern of Jesus Christ. And so he's going to say, okay, I've just presented Jesus to you, so wives... You happen to, especially in the first century, wives found themselves on the bottom of a pretty significant power differential, okay? Not quite so much in the West today, still a little bit, depending on the marriage, um, but very, pretty significant power differential in the first century. So he's saying, you find yourselves on the bottom of that power differential, so here's how you live out that in a Christ-like fashion. Here's how you exhibit the qualities of Christ given the role you find yourself in in your marriage and society. Husbands, you find yourselves on the top end of that power differential. Here's how you live out that role in your society in a very Christ-like way, all right? So they're both being called into this Christ-like life, but they find themselves in very different places in that sort of uh, strata of power and, and honor and um, status in first century society. But they're both being invited into something that is similar, which is this Christ-like pattern of life. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay, and then I think that what also is helpful, just looking at the context, um, wives, aren't you kind of bummed that you get like six verses and your husband only gets one in this, in this passage? Like, that doesn't seem fair. Why, why, does, why do wives get six verses and husbands only one? And I think the answer is if you just think about the flow of what Peter's been talking about, 
Okay? If you go back to verse 13 of chapter 2, he's talking about how as, as believers of Jesus, we, we submit ourselves to the structures for the most part, right, that we find in society, and we do that in a Christ-like way. So his theme is submission. So he starts with us as citizens, right, submit yourselves to the emperor, to the government authorities. And then in verse 18, he talks about first century slaves, right? They find themselves in that place, how they submit to masters. And then in verse 1 of chapter 3, wives, likewise, you find yourself there. So your role in this is this role of submission. So that's why in the, in the flow of things, they get by far the most ink. Okay. Um, what's interesting is the other main passage in the New Testament on marriage is Ephesians 5. Many of you know that passage. There, Paul's purpose seems uh, somewhat different there he's showing how marriage between a man and a woman is actually this beautiful picture of the relationship between Jesus and his church. And, and, and human marriages are supposed to be a, an imperfect but beautiful enacted drama of Christ's love for the church. Husbands play the role of Christ in that drama. So their husbands get like three times as much ink. Okay, they're supposed to live out this Christ-like self-sacrificial. He gave himself for his church, right, to present her holy and blameless. So the, the husbands get about three times things. So wives, if you're frustrated today, just send your husband to Ephesians 5. It pretty much uh, equals out in the end. Um, all right, so those are just some big picture, kind of, I think, what sets this, this in context. All right, so let's now, let's just spend our time. I'm going to spend most of the time uh, in the section on wives because that's what Peter does. Um, but let's, let's start with the wives and what Peter has to say. Um, you know, you can't stereotype the, the role of women in first century society any more than you can stereotype the role of women in 21st century society. So there's, there's no like, here's how women, you know, there's not one overarching. You can imagine the diversity of how marriage worked in the first century. Um, but I think it's quite safe to say that it, for the most part, women found themselves, as I said, on, on the bottom half of a pretty significant power differential. Um, just as first century slaves did, not to the extent of that, citizens, right? But they, they found themselves in this place of powerlessness. And so um, Peter has some things to say to them in the midst of that fairly challenging situation in some cases. And so I, I want to just encourage you, uh, you women, and especially you wives, I'm going to try to just kind of, for the most part, just go through these, these verses, just draw out the words. I'm not going to I'm not going to say that much, just kind of walk it through. And I, and I want to invite you today, even right now, um, just to present yourselves before the Lord and just say, you know, as, a, as my, my offering of worship, Lord, I want to present my mind to you. I want to present my heart to you right now. I want to let your word um, do whatever work it wants to do in me. And so, um, and I'll have the husbands do the same thing. Um, and all of us actually can do the same thing because, again, he's going to say things that he would say to all of us elsewhere. But I, I want to invite you just to really, I don't know how you woke up this morning, whether you're ready for this conversation or not, but um, just present your hearts before the Lord right now and say, Lord, I want to be, be a receptive um, listener of your word. Okay, so here's this first word, and we've seen it for the last two messages First word to note is wives in the same way submit yourselves to your own pattern or your own husband, meaning follow the pattern of Christ-like, humble, fearless submission. Don't be prideful. Don't be uh, belligerent. Don't be difficult. 
be eager to cooperate with your husbands, be willing to father, uh, follow your husbands, be uh, quick to honor and respect them. And I think we'd want to say the same thing we said with citizens of the government. Of course, there are times when wives have to stand up to their husbands, have to speak out against their husbands. We said the same thing with citizens and governments. Of course, that's true. But he's trying to present an, an overarching posture in, your, in the dynamic of your relationship. It's this, this eagerness, this willingness to, to respect, to honor, to follow your husband. And what's become clear to me this week as I studied this is, for Peter, there's actually something much bigger than marriage at stake in this passage. And what's actually, what he's after is the gospel. So let me just read verse 1 again to you. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that, here's the bigger picture, if any of them don't believe the word, or yours might say don't obey the word, they may be won over to the gospel without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, right? You see, there's something actually bigger than your marriage at stake, and it's your husband's salvation. So he's, he's addressing women who, you know, maybe the gospel came through these cities and the wife became a believer and their hu- the husband didn't. Now she's in a marriage with an unbelieving husband. Um, some of you in this room have, uh, are maybe in that circumstance or have at one time been in that circumstance. You married someone who wasn't a believer, or you became a believer in the course of your marriage. Um, this would obviously very much apply to you. Um, some of you women uh, are married to men who might sort of claim to be Christians, but as you look at their lives and you're honest, you actually don't see a lot of fruit, and you wonder, is there really a, a regenerate heart there? This would certainly apply to you. Uh, some of you women are married to committed Christians who are just idiots from time to time, <laughs> and uh, they need to be reminded of the gospel, and I think this would apply to you as well. Um, so there's something bigger, and it's the gospel. And what he's encouraging wives towards is winning over their husbands, at the end of verse 1, by the behavior of their wives, or, or maybe of conduct. The word literally, the Greek word means the walking around of their, their wives. He's talking, talking about how you walk around in the, in the dailiness of your life, how you go about the dailiness of your life. There'd be something that they would see right, that would be compelling. Um, how you go about the responsibilities of your home life. If you work how, outside the home, how you go about the responsibilities of your work life, how you engage the children, how you treat them, how you parent them, um, how you um, engage with your friends, right? What you choose to look at and watch, what you choose to read, and of course, how you treat your husbands themselves, how you listen to them, how you respect them, how you're an encouraging presence. The dailiness of your lives, the walking around of your lives. And I love what he says. He says, he's, what he's saying is that they might be won over to the word without words, without you having to say anything about Jesus, they would at least see there's something about my wife and the way she lives her life that is honorable, that is respectable, that is attractive. And actually, I want that. There's something she's got, and I want that. Okay? That's, that's the, the essence of what he's getting at. Two things about your, your conduct, your walking around that he mentions in this verse. Look at verse 2. Purity the purity of your lives, and the reverence of your lives. Let me start with this word reverence, right? He's encouraging wives that you would, there would be this, this reverence at the center of your life, that you have this awe for who God is, that, that at the center of your life is this relationship with the being that you find very awesome, 
very beautiful, very compelling. And he's, he's this glorious presence in your life like the sun, and your whole life, it kind of revolves around. There's something at the center of your life that your life revolves around, and it's God that makes your life tick and that gives you this kind of awe, reverence, respectfulness about God. And with that then comes this other word, the purity of your life, right? There's, purity is about, um, about single-mindedness. It's about a life that isn't, isn't mixed. You're not like halfway in with God, but halfway in with the world, right? You're not caught up in, in the, the treasures of the world, the, the ideas of the world, the, the cravings of the world. Your life is centered around this awesome God, and there's a single-minded folk, and to seek first the kingdom of God. That's the kind of purity um, that he's calling wives to. Of course, he calls us all to this, right? And that reverence and purity would come out in, your, in how you engage and how you talk and you know, how you think about the world. It's a high calling, wives. It's a high calling for all of us. Reverence, purity. It, it reminded me, um, like a month ago, I was at a, a nearby restaurant, and I was, I was picking up uh, some takeout. So I just sat in a booth, and there were these two ladies, probably in their late 20s, um, having lunch. They, I assume they were, you know, work, uh, you know, work together. And it was so, honestly, it was so sad to me. Because I could just overhear their conversation, and it was anything but purity and reverence. There was just F-bomb this and this, and it was crass. And they clearly liked each other. They weren't arguing. It's just, just how they talked. And it was so impure. And I'm such like a non-engager in public, but I came this close. Seriously, like for me to get there, like, just like, I just wanted to go over and say, ladies, you are beautiful image bearers of God and I just want to say as, as one guy out there, it's so unbecoming. It's actually so unattractive to me to hear you guys talk this way, um, to especially hear women. And maybe I'm old-fashioned in that, but it's, it's as unattractive when men do it, but especially to hear that from young ladies' mouths. And I, I honestly, reg- I wish I would have. <laughs> but it was, it was anything, yeah, I know, sorry, I, I'll, next time. <laughs> I, I know where the restaurant is. Um. And, and Peter's calling women into such a different posture, right? Purity, reverence, the dailiness of your lives, that your husbands would be won over to the word without a word. So really, all he's doing here is, go back to chapter 2, verse 12. All he's doing is applying this now to women. Look at 2, verse 12. Live such good lives, right, among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now he's just simply applying that to wives. Live such good lives in the presence of your husbands that even if they're not believers, they might be won over by the way you live your life. And then he goes into, sorry, Whitman, we're not done yet. Um, Then he goes into this conversation about where true beauty comes from. Look at verse 3. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So I just want to say women of Orange County. Okay, this is where this conversation really hits home, right? Outward beauty versus inward beauty. And he mentions three things in verse 3. Hair, jewelry, fine clothes. Um, We could add skin products, procedures, all the sorts of things, right, that we do to, 
to work on our physical beauty. And I was, I was tempted to give stats. I won't give the stats of the, the money and the time, but you know, the beauty industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. And this is such a temptation, right? For men too, but maybe especially for women um, to, to gain influence through physical attraction rather than through the inner qualities that, that Peter is going to call us into. And I was thinking about there's something about physical beauty that is just front-loaded with impact, right? Like physical beauty just pops. You, you, you experience it, and it's, it's, a, it's an immediate um, influence, impact. Um, things like gentle and quiet spirit don't, don't quite have that quick hit the same way. They don't wow you, right? That's a slow burn, if I can say it that way. And so physical beauty, it can be a way of gaining a guy's attention, your husband's attention, right? And of course, I imagine if I were to talk to many of you women um, and all the pressures that come from living where we do, um, a lot of it is probably actually not about men. It's oftentimes feeling pressure just to keep up with other women or just here's what's normal here. And so I I don't want to get left behind. I want to fit in. I want to be accepted. I I would guess that's actually probably more of it than... than, um, than men, I, you know, it's probably different for everybody, but just all the pressure, all the, um, <laughs> yeah, there's the constant pressure where we live, and, and of course, all the deep fears and insecurities that can be underneath that whole culture, and so I, I just want to just like, as a man, I just want to say a couple things to you women that hopefully are encouraging, uh, maybe challenging, but, um, you know, as a guy who grew up in Orange County and is now raising three daughters um, in Orange County, um, I just, I want to say just a couple simple things to you. And, and the first is just to remind you that um, this isn't normal. Just like, we need, a, I think especially when we need a regular voice to remind us, this isn't normal, what's happening here in Orange County. This is not normal. This is not how the rest of the world is. We, we live in the lion's den. This is Babylon. Okay, we talked about Babylon week one. This is Babylon in this particular area of of um, physical appearance. This is, we live in the place that movies mention all the time. And so it's just helpful maybe for you to kind of be able to pop out of this every once in a while. Oh yeah, this isn't, this is a little crazy. We live in kind of crazyville here. I mean, I, I remember I used to live in CDM and I can remember I was studying for a sermon uh, on, this was probably 10 years ago, at the Starbucks down in CDM. So it's like 10 a.m. in the morning. And um, sort of woman after woman is, is walking in to get their coffee for the morning, and just like, at first it was kind of distracting, just the, every person was so put together, Um, they were in such good shape, they were presented so like, well, but it was kind of that like, um, oh, I just rolled out of bed, sort of like casual, but very, you know, intentional, casual thing that we do, you know, at 10 a.m. in CDM, you guys know what I'm talking about, and at first it was honestly distracting, and then I almost just started laughing, like, I feel like I'm on a movie set, like, this is this is Crazyville. And um, so I just want to remind you, for, for you to hear a man's voice say, this is not normal where we live. And I, I get it. When you're 20, some of you are in your 20s here, the, it, you experience that differently than when you're 80, and some of you are 80. But there's, there's pressures on all, in every decade, right, and how that works out. I get all of that. Um, but I just want to remind you that this isn't normal. And so what that means is that if you choose to follow Scripture here, um, you might end up feeling like an exile in Orange County, in this area. In fact, you might feel like an exile at Grace Fellowship Church from time to time in this area, okay? 
And this is a letter to elect exiles. That's, that's, this is what this is about. This is where exile, this is where the rubber meets the road in a very practical way. Um, if you say, you know what, I'm not going to spend all the time and the attention and the devotion and the money, and you might get pressures from your husband, you get pressure, but if, if you choose to do that, you will feel that. <laughs> you will feel like you're not fitting in the way you want. And I get that. And I just want to say that's just reality. This is one of those areas where this becomes very real. And so I want to remind you, um, in light of that, that um, you are the elect, that you ladies are the elect of God, you're the chosen of God, you're daughters of the King, you are image bearers of the one true God, you're not um, bodies to be decorated or to be presented to men um, or to one another even, first and foremost, you're, you're image bearers made in the image of God. And so you get to live out this this elect exile. And I just, I want to say, gosh, there's, I think there's a freedom to be had on the other end of that decision. Like what would, if you can imagine, what would it feel like to be freed for those of you that really struggle with it from that constant comparison? Like what if you just got out of the game? It's a rat race, right? And we all have it in various ways, but what would it look like just to kind of go, I don't I could actually get out of that. There'd be some cost to that, but man, I think there might be freedom there to, to truly find my identity in Christ and not in um, what Peter's calling uh, women and men, too, out of. And this is a, a big issue for men as well. Um, but I just want, I, I want to place that in you. Like, there, there is a different way than Orange County. And it is possible to do it in Orange County. Um, it'll cost you something, but I think what you gain is freedom. <laughs> and that's much better. Um, all right. Oh, and then... Last bit on the, on the women, what he does is he turns from um, external to, um, to the inner. And, and I want you just to take this in again. This is for all of us. So it shouldn't be external, verse 4. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, literally the hidden person of the heart. This is where your beauty is to be found, the hidden person of the heart. This is straight up Sermon on the Mount language, Okay. Jesus says, when you do your acts of righteousness, right, don't, don't do it on display for others. But when you pray, right, when you give, uh, do it in secret, in hiddenness, same word, and your Father who sees what is done in secret. He's talking about that part of us that is not on display, that you can't see physically, that makes up the bulk of who we are, and that is very precious in God's sight. That's where you should focus your life, on that inner part of you, that, that, that part of you that is, is growing in Christ. And here in verse 4, he mentions two qualities, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, ladies, if those are hard words for you, let me redeem those words for you right now, okay? First, gentle, or your translation might have meek. Okay, this is how Jesus Christ describes himself. He says, I am gentle, I am meek. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? For I am gentle. There's the word, gentle. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. So gentleness is a Christ-like character. And I think, man, when it comes to this area of physical beauty, what a wonderful invitation from Jesus. Like, are you, for those of you women who are, and men, who, you know, we're in the gym all the time, whatever. You can tell I'm in the gym all the time. Um, um, are you tired? Aren't you tired of all that? Isn't that... Aren't you sick of that? Jesus, is, if that's you, come to me. 
you will find a gentle Savior. I'm not, I'm not going to burden you with all these expectations of beauty, physical beauty. You'll find a gentleness. And he himself is gentle. So that's gentle. And then this, this other word, quiet, a quiet spirit, okay? He's not actually talking about a quiet mouth here, um, but a quiet spirit. So let me give you a couple other words that might, you might, might be more helpful. Calm, serene, peaceful. That's what this Greek word means. The idea is when life is hectic, when the storms of life are blowing, women, you live with this serenity, this fearless, calm tranquility. Again, he calls every Christian into this. First Thessalonians, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. How many of you would ever group ambition and quiet together? Right? By quiet, he means calm, serene, peaceful. Women, that's what you're being invited into. Men, that's what you're being invited into too. Now, where does that kind of calmness, especially in the midst of hard lives, come from? He goes on, I'll I'll wrap up the wives part with this. He goes on to talk about the women of the past. And let me mention just two things he mentions there. Look at verse 5. For this is the way the holy women of the past, here's the phrase I want to focus on, who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. That's the idea. How can I have serenity in the midst of a tough marriage? How can I have serenity when women around me are, are spending all this time getting fancy and I don't know if I should do that anymore? Because we put our hope in God. Because my hope is in God and his love for me, his care for me, that he'll never forsake me. That's how I can live a quiet, a calm, a serene life. And then look at the end of this. Look at end of verse 6. You are her daughters, Sarah's daughters, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Love that. When the world is freaking out around you about stuff, when your marriage is tough, don't give way to fear. Trust in the Lord. Live a life that is attractive, that is honorable. And I, I just want to say, this is, this is what the world needs. This is what marriages need. This is what the world needs, is women who are fearless, who put their hope in God, who seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and who live with a calm confidence in him, even in the midst of adversity. The world needs those kind of women. The world needs those kind of men. Amen? All right, so let's move on to the men. How are we doing so far? You're still here. It's good. Um, where am I here? Husbands, you get one verse today. Wives, take them to Ephesians 5 if they don't get this one today. Um, I'm going to spend less time because that's what Peter does. Um, let me read it in my NIV, and then I'm actually going to put it up in the ESV, which I think is a much better translation. Actually, I'm just going to put it up in, in the ESV. Um, this ESV stays much closer to the original. So I think this is actually a more helpful place to be. So I'm just going to keep it up there. Let me read it to you again. Uh, Husbands, likewise, in the same Christ-like way, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay? Again, every phrase is a pretty remarkable statement in my mind. Likewise, you're being called into this Christ-like uh, pattern of life. Now you have the, the place, place of authority in first century especially. 
So you need to live that out in a Jesus-honoring Jesus way. And here's what he does in this passage. He says, this is fascinating to me. He says, there's two things you need to know about your wives, okay? And in light of that, there's two ways you need to treat your wives, okay? Let me start with the two things you need to know. So husbands, now it's your turn just to present yourself to this word, okay? You still with me? Yeah? Okay, good. All right. Um, and take in each one of these phrases for yourself today and before the Lord. So I want to, Lord, I want to honor you. I want to honor my wife. If you're a single man, I want to I honor the way I treat women. Two things you need to know about your wife. Uh, the first is, uh, in that phrase, to honor, honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Okay? So the first thing you need to know about your wife is she is the weaker vessel. And I use the ESV because vessel is exactly the Greek word. The word means just that. When you find it in other places, it's a vessel, like a basket carrying bread is a vessel. Uh, a bottle carrying wine is a vessel, okay? She is the weaker vessel. That's, I think, partner is an unfortunate translation in the NIV. It's my own view. It's a container. It's, it's, a, it's something that holds something. So what I think Peter's saying is the first thing you need to know about your wives is she is or she has a weaker vessel, meaning you are stronger than your wife, okay? Your vessel is stronger. Uh, she has a physical vulnerability in the relationship. Or the other way to say it is you have the potential of a physical dominance in the relationship, okay? Especially true in the first century. I get it. Exceptions to this rule abound. Uh, women are crushing it in the gym these days, right? I, I get that. I don't even go to the gym anymore for that reason. It's just, it's, it's really makes me insecure. Uh, my wife is, a, she works out, she does videos, she does these like, full body kind of like 20 minute videos at home. It's really funny. She'll do it like late morning or like yeah, and so sometimes I'm like sitting down to have an early lunch. It's like on a Monday. It's really weird. I'm sitting down and she's doing a video in front of me. It's, it's bizarre. But, but half the time I watch her and I, I literally outline, oh, honey, oh, slow. Oh, gosh. Oh, not so low. Like slow. Because I know if I did that workout, I'd be laid up for a week. Like, and that's just the reality of my body versus her body. I know some of you women, uh, when you get a cold, life just goes on. When your husband gets a cold, the world ends, right? Um, I get this. Women live longer than men for the most part. So there are some ways that women are tougher physically and stronger physically than men. Um, but I think what Peter is drawing to is, is the obvious <laughs> uh, biological reality that men are physically dominant. They're stronger. And that when push comes to shove, literally, when push comes to shove, men win every time or almost every time. So here's the first thing you need to know about your wife. Um, she is the weaker vessel. Uh, meaning there's a vulnerability that she has in the relationship that you don't have. When she runs at night, she maybe doesn't run at night, and you do, right? There, you, there's, a, there's a differential. There's a power difference, and that creates a vulnerability for her. And you need to, you need to realize that. There's, there's a way you ought to treat someone who has that vulnerability in the relationship. So that's the first thing you need to know. But secondly, she's not only the weaker vessel, but she is an heir with you, of the grace of life, currently wrapped in a vessel that is more vulnerable than you, but she is just like you, going to inherit eternal life, eternal glory is what he's talking about. One day, your wife will be a queen for all eternity. She will be this glorious creature, morally perfect, physically um, perfect, and, and have a body that is indestructible that will last forever. She will be a person that if you could see her now, you would be tempted to worship her if you could see her in her eternal glorious state. 
And I think as married partners, it's so good every once in a while to just step back and to imagine our spouses in their future glory, right? Like, because obviously we, we tend to focus on the things in our spouses that are hard for us, that make our lives harder. And we're not perfect people right now. But husbands, to take a moment to think, my wife one day is going to be this just glorious creature. Um, she's going to be perfect, entirely like Jesus. Uh, and that's true about her. So husbands, that's what Peter's saying. Here's the two things you know, need to know about your wife. You have this creature that is destined for glory, but she's currently wrapped in a kind of vulnerability that you don't have in the same way. So how do you go about treating somebody like that? Well, he gives us two ways we ought to treat our wives. First, that first part, live with your wives in an understanding way. Or my NIV says, um, be considerate with your wives, right? There's a consideration that you ought to have. Um, you appreciate the vulnerability, especially in the first century where the, the dynamic is so much more, you know, extreme, um, meaning you don't dominate your wife. You don't intimidate your wife. You don't neglect your wife. You consider her. You protect her. You care for her. Uh, you're gentle with her. You're kind to her. You listen to her. You're, you're gracious to her. You, you use your power. You use your status the way Jesus did, right? In this self-sacrificial, serving kind of way, lifting her needs above your own. You're considerate. You live with her in an understanding way. And then secondly, what does he say? Live in an understanding way, and here's showing honor to the woman. Or yours might say showing respect. What do you do with a, a, a person like that? You honor them. It's actually the exact same word um, he says in chapter 2 of the emperor. Um, honor the emperor. And now he uses that same word. Husbands, honor your wives. Revere your wives. Don't disregard her. Don't dismiss her. Don't belittle her. Right? Listen to her. Marvel. Honor. Study her, husbands. This is one us men need to keep doing. Study your wives, right? Pursue your wives. Learn your wives. See them as the, the beautiful, intricate thing that they are. Learn their desires. Learn their, their hurts, right? Learn their hopes and, um, and honor. This is an amazing thing that you've been given in your wife. Consider and honor. At my observation um, in my own marriage and in marriages in general is us men, us husbands, um, we tend towards two um, unchristlike ways. There's either men who dominate their wives. Honestly, I see that less, certainly in our church. Uh, and then the opposite is men who are just passive in their marriages, right? We, we pursue um, work. Uh, we might pursue certain hobbies with a kind of devotion. And then we come home and we kind of check out a little bit. We check out with the kids. We check out with our marriage. We stop. We stop really fighting for that intimacy and pursuit. So my observation is, is most of us move towards that sort of passive um, inactivity in our marriages. And, and Peter's calling us towards this Christ-like proactivity. Be proactive. Consider, honor your wife. And then he ends with this crazy sentence, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And men, let's let, just, let's let that sink. I'm not even sure totally what that means. Um, I'm thinking this, 
okay? Again, first century, okay? A little different than 21st century Southern California. Massive power differential in marriage back then. I think Peter's saying something like, so you have this power over your wife, and you claim to follow Jesus. You think in that dynamic, if you mistreat your wife, if you intimidate her, if you neglect her, if you abuse her, you you think you can do that, and God's going to hear your prayers? (laughs) Think again. He's not going to hear your prayers. And I think he he actually means one of two things here. Either he's saying um, something like what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember in the the Lord's Prayer uh, when Jesus says, forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors? And then he says something really scary, right? So if if, if you forgive others their their sins, your Father will forgive you. But if you don't give them, forgive them sins, then your Father won't forget you. And I'm like, I thought forgiveness was uh, was like unconditional. And now he's put a condition on it. And I think what Jesus is saying there is like to, to not live in forgiveness is to actually reveal the fact that you're actually not a kingdom person, right? You, you haven't bought into the gospel. I mean, maybe theoretically, but if you go around not forgiving people, that just simply reflects that you're actually not a kingdom person. The gospel hasn't taken root. And, and I, I think maybe something similar is being said here. If you husbands are, are cruel to your wives, if you dismiss your wives, it, it shows um, you, you, haven't, you haven't really bought into the gospel yet. And which means you're not really a child of God, and so you shouldn't expect your father to answer your prayers. Okay, that's the that's the, the heavy version. The other version could just be what he says is your prayers may not be, be hindered. He might just mean that praying together as husband and wife, that activity will be hindered. He might just be speaking practically. When you mistreat your wives, you're not gonna you're not gonna pray together very much, and it's really important to pray together. And I, I kind of lean towards the first, but those are both kind of options of what he could be saying there. Either way, it's something that husbands ought to want to avoid, very much so. And so we want to treat our wives, consider it with honor. All right, that was plenty for the day. Um, Let's go to prayer. Um, Elect exiles. This is who we are, and that shapes how we engage our marriages, regardless of how other people around us engage their marriages. So let's go to prayer, and I'd love to just... um, Give us a moment to, to kind of present ourselves again to the Lord in prayer. So let's, let's pray. And those of you who are wives in particular, I would invite you right now just to just think about these verses. Maybe there's a phrase or a word you know, or a posture that it's really hitting you. And that maybe is what the Spirit wants to kind of highlight for you today. And I, I invite you just to take a moment to, to say, Lord, I think this is, this is what you have for me in my marriage now, this idea, this posture, this encouragement, this conviction. And just sit with the Lord. And, that, and same with you husbands. In that one verse, there's plenty of phrases. And maybe there's something in there that is standing out to you that you feel like, Spirit, this is what you are wanting to say to me now. And just let me give you 20 seconds of silence to do that work. And then I'll pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for the marriages in this room that you protect them, that you guide them, that you convict them, that you encourage them, that you 
bring grace into the middle of them, that Jesus, you would set yourself right in the center of those relationships. And I pray for the women in this room, Lord. I pray that your spirit would be at work in them, that they might put their hope in you, that they would become fearless women in a culture where people are constantly afraid, that their hope in you would would give them this calm, confident uh, stance as they go about their days. I pray for their walking around in their dailiness of their lives, for purity, for reverence, Lord. And I pray for their beauty, that it would come from the inner self, and I trust that your spirit is renewing them inside, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. So spirit, renew them day by day. And I pray for the men in this room, that they would, those that, of them that are, hus- uh, that are husbands, that they would recognize in their wives that, the utter gift that their wives are to them. And that, that they'd be just renewed in their appreciation for their wives. That they would um, be men of integrity, gentlemen, proactive leaders, um, courageous men, uh, men who honor their wives and are considerate and kind and gracious. Lord, these are things we cannot do. <laughs> apart from your spirit. So work in us, Lord. Work in our marriages. Work in our relationships as men and women together in this church, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.